Hi friends, I'm your host, Ivana Estelle, and welcome to True Crime Storytime. This week we are bringing it to reality TV, baby. True crime and throwing drinks? This was a combination I did not see coming. I love reality TV, and I'm not talking the lame reality TV like when they have celebrities host true crime documentaries. Nothing gives me the ick more than when people make a murder like a pop trend. But what I do appreciate is real cut and dry, how the hell did they find these people reality TV? Housewives, Potomac me please. Vanderpump Rules is my guilty pleasure. I absolutely obtain the personality of every contestant on Love Island. I can consume any form of people living their fake real lives for others' engagement. It is so meta. And honestly, one day, we're going to have a conversation about how reality television is one of the greatest pieces of media in world history because it places a distorted mirror in the form of human nature. When I came across this show, I thought, hmm, here's something I could watch while scrolling on my phone, which is why the twist of the dark murder that ruined the company and canceled the reality show entirely was so disappointing. But the question is, how the hell did we get here? This is a Sweetie Pie's murder. This case is sad as hell, y'all. And when I say sad, I mean basically not only was a young man's life taken entirely too soon, but a family black-owned business was completely shut down in the process. I'm all about small businesses. I love to support minority-owned businesses, so of course, when the show came out, I, like many people, were so excited about it. We got to see a wholesome family make it and run a successful business selling what? Soul food. I know you thought I was gonna say pies. Like, (laughs) the irony does not fall on deaf ears here. I mean, sweetie pies? The only thing on the dessert menu that is closest to a pie was like peach cobbler. But still, it doesn't get any more adorable than this. Before it became a show, however, the owner, Robbie Montgomery, began her career in the 60s. She was actually an Iket, which was the background singing duo of Ike and Tina Turner music group. Now, Tina Turner is an icon, and her relationship with Ike is actually one that has true crime written all over it. But All you need to know is that Ike Turner is a fucking nightmare and Tina is way too good for any of us. Oh, also they have nothing to do with this case. See, Robbie was with the group until her lung collapsed and she could no longer sing. Stuck at a crossroads, Robbie decided to use her mother's soul food recipe to create Sweetie Pies, a soul food restaurant in St. Louis, Missouri. Robbie was really able to make this a family-owned business. Robbie was known for having an incredibly infectious smile. She was warm and kind, and a lot of people really appreciated seeing her. This was one of those cases I really think you should go back to watch the show. I mean, Robbie is so likable. She's warm and kind and funny, and you can't help but root for her. Robbie was also a single mom to her sons, Andre Montgomery Sr. and James Tim Norman. And once Tim grew up, he was able to really be a partner in the business, specifically the operations and financial portion. As time went by, Tim became engaged to a woman named Janae, and they had a son. And around this time, Sweetie Pies was really becoming a hit. The result of that? Oprah Winfrey discovering it. Yep, 
Oprah is somehow tied into this mess. When she first discovered the business, she loved the family dynamic and the real delicious food that was sold. Something about Robbie owning the locations and also being in the back to help cook, it doesn't get any more genuine than that. The OWN network began with a docuseries on the show, but fans loved it and the show would go on to have seven seasons. I know what you're thinking. What could go wrong? Where does the crime come in? And if only this could just be a sweet tale about a woman whose soul food fed the masses. But it isn't. And this is a true crime podcast. So let's talk a little bit about Timothy Norman. Tim has a face that only a mother could trust. Yes, he was always decently handsome, tall, and for the most part, he and his mother were incredibly close. He and his fiance Janae, had been together for years, and he was a new dad. We got to watch his story unfold on TV. His son was a toddler, and on the outside, everything about Tim seemed normal. But there was just always something about him, and maybe you'll have to go to Oprah's network to watch for yourself, but it's just something schemish. It's like when you look at someone and they've got a smile and just something in your stomach says don't trust them. I mean, we all know the types. I actually have been around someone recently who is just, it's something about him. It just doesn't sit right. Actually, I feel that way about a couple people, and unfortunately, I have to be around them frequently. So you can only imagine what it's like. But it's one of those things where you're like, yeah, you're likable, but I just don't trust you. And I can't put my finger on why that is. Tim Norman is one of those people you have to be careful around because for the most part, they're harmless, but you really can't put anything past them. You don't want to find out when your intuition is right. Now, as the show got more popular, so did the family members. Robbie was used to a level of fame from working with Ike and Tina. Even Tim started to have a reputation to uphold. I mean, at one point, before he was with his fiance, he was known as an eligible bachelor, trying his best to make his way. There were even rumors that he'd been dating a famous housewife from Housewives of Atlanta. In that same breath, he also had an ongoing legal battle with an ex-girlfriend, who was also on a reality show called Basketball Wives. The case was confusing. Basically, Tim earned a reputation of either being a likable guy or someone who could potentially be dangerous. Robbie also had a grandson, Andre Jr. Andre Montgomery Jr. was 21 years old, a young kid. He had a full face and round cheeks, and he oftentimes wore a hat on backwards. He was born on October 14th, 1994, which is so strange because that's literally like four days less than a month before my birthday. Andre was actually a junior and his dad, Andre Sr., was Robbie's other son. It's kind of interesting how everything went down because Andre Sr.'s father was Art Lasseter and he was an American singer. He also worked with Ike Turner. So I think this was kind of an on the road romance that came to be. Andre Jr. was a young kid, and he was trying to find his footing, particularly in music. I mean, you know what it's like in your early 20s. And for those of you who aren't there yet, my younger listeners, trust me, it's going to be an experience that you are going to remember forever because your 20s molds you into real adulthood. Andre had a lot of goals, but he also still was trying to figure things out. He'd worked at Speedy Pies for a while and didn't always have it easy. 
He'd actually come to live with his grandmother when his dad, Andre Sr., was killed in a stabbing a year after he was born. Before then, he'd grown up in Texas, and he would spend summers in St. Louis, eventually moving there full-time to live with his grandma, working and pursuing his music career. He attended McLure North High School and knew that even though he was appreciative of his family and everything they'd done for him, he didn't want to just stay at the restaurant forever. He wanted to at least see if he could really get his career going. But I can only imagine the pressure of that. I mean, St. Louis, Missouri isn't necessarily a hot spot for rappers. Not only that, but when it comes to music, you've got to have a lot of things in order to succeed. You need money for studio time, for club appearances, money for regular upkeep. On top of that, there's, of course, the dedication that you need to have. And let's not forget the talent. Don't get me wrong. The show was bringing in decent money, but specifically for executive producers. If you were on the show, it was because you worked at Speedy Pies. On March 14th, 2016, Andre Montgomery Jr., or Andre, as I'm going to call him for the rest of this case, was out and about. It isn't completely clear how he spent the day. Mostly it's assumed that he was working on music, maybe he saw friends and family, and honestly, tensions had been a little high for Andre. See, in the prior months, his grandma, Robbie, had been robbed. She'd gone on vacation in June, and when she came back, about $220,000 worth of cash and jewelry and other items were missing from her home. Now, to give some context, the show started in 2011. The business had been going on for years, so Robbie Montgomery was doing pretty well for herself. So, that amount of money worth of stuff in the home doesn't surprise me that much. What does surprise me is the robbery itself. Who broke in exactly? Even when I researched, there isn't much that comes out. It's kind of like this robbery really happened quietly, and no one said anything or reported anything. I mean, you would think by this point, they're famous. Like, this would be all over the news. But it wasn't. Not only that, but Tim got right to work on hiring a private investigator to find out what happened to his mother's things. See, Tim had a hunch that this was an inside job. And his eyes were set on Andre. Andre needed more money, and he basically lived with his grandmother. Why not just steal some items while she's away? This began to be a pretty publicly scarred relationship between the two. Tim and Andre at first were pretty close, especially with Andre's dad dying when he was a kid. But Tim felt like Andre was up to no good and falling into the wrong crowds. He also believed that Andre and his rap career meant that Andre was putting himself at a more volatile and violent risk. Andre and Tim's relationship began to rift after this robbery, and it resulted in Andre retreating to leaving St. Louis Louis, for about 7 to 10 months. Andre felt fear, but not about the potential violence connected to his rap career. He was afraid of his uncle Tim. Around March 10th, Andre texted his grandmother that he knew Tim had people looking for him and he was staying away from St. Louis until that was resolved. However, he was willing to come back to take a polygraph test to prove his innocence. Now, I have talked about polygraph tests on the show before. I'm not really in support of them. I personally believe that they are able to be beat, and an innocent person who is extremely anxious and nervous, aka half the population, could easily fail one. Nevertheless, Andre came back to St. Louis reluctantly. On March 14th, 2016, on the 3900 block of Natural Bridge Drive in St. Louis, Missouri, Andre went outside to meet someone. It was just after 8 o'clock p.m., 
and Andre apparently was waiting for a friend. He hadn't been in town in months, so seeing some familiar faces just made sense. It was when he saw a figure standing in front of him as he was just outside the house that everything kind of happened so quickly. The person pulled out a gun and pointed it at him and then shot over and over. Andre immediately fell lifeless down to the ground and the figure disappeared into the night. The police rushed to the area when someone reported the gunshot sounds. Andre never had a chance. He bled out on the ground there at the young age of 21 years old. Andre's family and friends were devastated. Who could do this? He had spent almost a year away from this area. He'd come home to attempt to clear his name and was killed. What are the odds? As police began to investigate the shooting, they were looking for witnesses, anyone that had seen anything or heard anything. And of course, they began to pine through Andre's life, including his phone records. During all this time, the show was still going on. Andre had been documented up until about 2013. The show had followed him struggling in school, building his music career, and mourning his father. And now the show was covering Andre's death. His grandmother was obviously devastated, and apparently so was Tim. The mother and son went to visit the place that Andre had been shot on the show. The show actually covered their grieving period and preparation in burying Andre. And it also showed that there were no leads. But in the back of everyone's minds, the rumors started to swirl. Yes, Tim was grieving the loss of his nephew, but Tim was also angry with his nephew. Not only that, but there were no real connections, no signs of violence or enemies that Andre had. And quite frankly, the only people that really knew that Andre was home was his family. The show at the time had brought in a lot of money. You see, there was money from the restaurant, and then you got paid per episode, and this also was the inclusion of EP credits. But around 2016, TV had really been booming. Reality TV, specifically. The show was doing well, but not make you a millionaire rich, and Tim had started to live a really affluent life. He had a lot of cars and designer clothes, and this had gone from being an adorable mom-and-pop shop to a restaurant that didn't really match up to its owner's lifestyle. Tim had also confided in a few people that he himself was struggling with money. He had told a cousin that he really couldn't afford his lifestyle. He had almost 92k in monthly expenses and wasn't earning nearly enough to cover it. The police were able to sort out what made Andre come outside that night. He received a call at around 8 o'clock and approximately at 8.02 went outside to meet up with the person. Though they hadn't released who this person was. And then there was radio silence. Outside of Tim publicly grieving with his mother Robbie, the show kind of slowed down. The murder had been an interesting part of the story, but then also made a major impact considering Andre was a part of the show. And for four years, there was nothing. But that doesn't mean that the police were not working. See, they had found a couple things regarding Tim's money that may have connected him to Andre's murder. After Andre died, it was discovered that an insurance policy was placed on him for approximately $450,000. But the policy was made in 2015, a year before he died and also months before the alleged robbery of Andre's grandmother, Robbie. But it didn't seem that the insurance policy was made with Andre's consent. Apparently, Tim was working with an insurance agency. 
Wael Yangman, to try to get this insurance policy made. They'd gone to different agencies to give in applications. Mutual of Omaha, Royal Neighbors of America, America Life, and Forrester's Financial. They wanted to discuss the insurance applications made in Andre Montgomery's name. But without full paperwork, and due to lack of consent from Andre, they were forced to fraudulently obtain the policy. See, in October of 2015, the pair submitted four separate life insurance applications, each of them containing false information regarding Andre's income, net worth, medical history, employment, and family background. Tim would also be the sole beneficiary. Representatives from three of the companies said that they canceled the application process due to incomplete paperwork or inability to obtain the the necessary information to insure a policy. Two of the reps from the insurance company said that even if they had gone forward with the policy, it wouldn't have worked because Andre's immediate mother is alive, meaning Tim wouldn't have received the money anyway. On one hand, you could consider Tim to be looking out for his nephew. Andre had a concerning presence on social media. Even during the time he was basically hiding from his uncle in plain sight, he posted about rapping and drugs and guns, which is all very strange considering his celebrity status of being from a wholesome family. Tim and Whale tried everything, even trying to file for a base policy that was a single dollar amount lower than it would be needed for Andre to take an in-person medical exam. But there was more to this insurance policy. See, part one was just having a policy, and eventually Tim and Wael were able to do just that. They obtained a policy, and in that policy that was ultimately issued through Foresters, Tim obtained a $200,000 policy with a $200,000 accidental death rider that would pay out if Andre died of anything besides natural causes, and a 50000 10-year term rider that would pay out if Andre died within a decade of the time the policy had been approved. Investigators found that Tim texted Wael saying not to worry that Andre wasn't going to be around for much longer. Isn't it ironic that the insurance policy was close to the amount of money that had apparently been stolen from Robbie Montgomery's home? Police were able to find that the gun that was used to kill Andre was a 38 caliber, and they were also able to figure out who Andre received a call from that night. Her name was Terika Ellis. She was a pretty young girl who lived in St. Louis, Missouri. She had her own run-ins with the law, including a couple misdemeanor convictions in 2006 and 2007, and she was known as an exotic dancer. She worked at one point at a strip club called Pure Passion. Another question was, how did she know Andre? See, that night, she had called Andre to meet, and who knows, she could have just started talking to Andre through social media, or maybe they'd run into each other at one point. It actually isn't clear. But what is interesting is Terika actually made two phone calls that night. The second was a prepaid cell phone call, which she used to call Tim Norman. She called him the same night to let him know where Andre was. Now I know you're wondering, how did police find all this information out? Well, it was a part of an operation called Legend, which basically is a partnership that sends federal agents and resources to cities experiencing an uptick in violent crimes. One of the cases they wanted to solve was Andre's. 
Police also found that the prepaid cell phone and the regular cell phone that Terika used was pinged near the scene of Andre's murder, and that days after Andre was murdered, Terika deposited $9,000 in multiple bank accounts. But Tim wasn't in St. Louis during the time. In fact, he lived in L.A. and would go back and forth from there to St. Louis to take care of the restaurants and film. So why did Terika call Tim? Well, it's kind of like the most messed up game of telephone ever. It was so that Tim could alert Travel Anthony Hill, who was paid $5,000 in cash after the 14th. And this was because he stayed out and waited for Andre to come outside where he shot him with the same .38 caliber. In January of 2020, Tim, Travel, and Terika were arrested, as was Wael. Travel was first to go to trial a couple years later, and he was charged with first-degree murder. Getting sentenced, he told the court that his brothers had died earlier that year when he'd murdered Andre, and that he actually had a one-year-old son that he hadn't met because he'd been incarcerated. He was paid in cash by Tim for the murder. The judge responded that his actions were calculated in cold and gave him a 30-year sentence. Now Terika was charged for her accessory for the murder for higher crime in July of 2022. As part of her testimony, she was going to tell the entire truth and testify against Tim in court. She'd been paid $10,000 by Tim for her role in the murder. Tim actually won't be sentenced until March of 2023. Terika was much older than Andre. She was about 32 years old to Andre's 21. And for her role in the crime, she was sentenced to three years in prison. Yael Rebbe Yangman, the insurance broker, pled guilty to federal charges in July, and he also got three years. To me, it seems like through Operation Legend, Yael and Terika worked with the feds for a lighter sentence in turn for giving them Tim. Tim is yet to be sentenced, but he is charged with conspiracy for murder for hire as well as fraud charges and could see life in prison. Sweetie Pies closed its doors on September 25th, 2022. Both locations were closed. The show itself went on until about 2018, which means for two years, Tim acted on the show like he cared about Andre and that he was mourning his loss. In my opinion, I think Tim thought less of Andre's life. He saw the rapping and the flash and Andre trying to be someone that he wasn't and just basically figured his life wasn't worth much. Tim also needed more money to make up his own overspending. In the meantime, Robbie has lost her son and her grandson, all in a quick swift. And it reminds you that this story really is a tragedy. Something that was once so beautiful has turned to ash. We can only hope that Robbie came through and came back from this a stronger person. Because the show really was loved by many, and the restaurant was a well-respected establishment. I can't help but think that greed and celebrity status just got in the way and that living a life that really isn't yours is something that Andre and Tim had in common. But unfortunately, it cost Andre any chance of having one and Tim being stripped of everything. Thank you so much for joining me. We are on to our true crime fact of the episode. This one is interesting, and I would love to know your opinion about it, so please DM me. Ohio DUI offenders must use yellow license plates. 
So if you're on the road, but you've got a DUI, you basically have this different color license plate than the rest. Ironically, New Jersey's license plates are yellow. And then I think about if you like customize your license plate, like can you not pick the color yellow if you're in Ohio because then people will think you've had a DUI? I don't know. I have a lot of opinions for someone who literally never drives. Thank you so much for joining me. All of my socials are in my show notes and all of my sources from today's episode can be found on my website, yvonneastel.com. Safe journey, keep walking in the light. Until next time, with love, Ivana Estelle.